0: Well, if you have your copy of God's Word, let me invite you to open up to Matthew chapter 6. And this morning we'll be looking at verses 16 through 24. It is a unique day in the life of the church um, all across uh, this kingdom. Uh, and that is that today is a day that we recognize uh, traditionally uh, what is known as Reformation Day. Uh, hence, that's why we sang uh, the hymn, the great hymn by Martin Luther, the reformer, uh, the monk, the scholar and why we sing it uh, loud and, and proud. Luther, in October 31st, 1517, becoming uh, overwhelmed with the direction of the Catholic Church, who were selling indulgences to buy your way out of purgatory, penned what was known as his 95 Thesis, and he pinned it on the wall of the castle there in Wittenberg for all the world to see. Scholars would contend and and ask, why is it that he did what he did and and why he did it when he did? And many have come to the conclusion that the following day, which would have been November the 1st, would have been All Saints Day. Where many of the people in the towns and the cities would have gathered, gathered to the church to see all the relics that existed. And Luther knew exactly and precisely what he was doing when he nailed that paper and that document on the doors of that castle. One of the unique things that we benefit from that today is it began the process of the Protestant Reformation. Something that we delight in and we are proud of. And that Luther's main contention in that thesis was that the church needed to be reformed from within. And that we needed to recover the gospel of Jesus. That the gospel of Jesus is and was our greatest treasure. It was true then and it is true now. Now, and just as churches, uh, the Catholic church in particular in 1517 needed reformation, we as churches today, we are still in need of that reformation. And We must be a people that contend fiercely for the gospel, to value it and to not forget it, to be led by mission and be on mission and have a vision that is propelled by the word of God. And just as Luther in that moment all those years ago spoke against the hypocrisy of the Catholic Church, here we have Jesus speaking against the hypocrisy of the religious leaders of his day. And this morning we find ourselves in verse 16 and we see a transition that begins to change in the life of, of the thought of what Jesus is saying and he begins to talk about A discipline that is more often neglected in most churches. The discipline of fasting. Something that would have been commonplace in Jesus' time. But for whatever reason now churches blow over this and they speak past it. Many of the books that I even read through this week of pastors that would walk through the Sermon on the Mount. Many of them skipped this very passage. It's not something that, in particular, motivates individuals, and it's not something that draws a crowd, but it is a discipline that is connected closely with a posture of prayer that Jesus just concluded teaching about. And so this morning, we begin in verse 16, where Jesus says this, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. A couple of things are going on. Jesus continues to speak to the matter of motivation in the heart of a believer, asking the question, why is it that we do certain things the way that we do and the reason behind doing those things? And yet in this moment, Jesus begins to call out those who would say that they follow God. And he says that when you do fast, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites, for these were people that were fasting with the purpose of being seen by other people. They wanted this aura and this, uh, this, this persona of being religious in every way. And they wanted to brag about their spirituality and, and their religion. And they would put it on display for all the wrong reasons. And they would walk around acting tired and, and gloomy so that others would see uh, their, their fake humility, their self-righteousness before the world. They disfigured their faces. So they can be seen and know, but Jesus says they have their reward. In other words, what he says in that moment is that there is no reward eternally for their posture and for their lack of humility. There is no reward in heaven for a sense of self-righteousness that does things for arterial motives, not to honor the Lord our God, but rather to be seen. And so Jesus attacks the motivation of these men and these women. But we asked the question this morning, what is the discipline of fasting? Something that is often forgotten in most churches, and, and I'll say it today that many of us perhaps don't try on a regular basis, I don't speak that with words of condemnation, but rather to call us back to some of the things that Jesus would have us do, that he would lead our church to, to be a house of prayer, yes. And to be a people that humble ourselves before the Lord in times of fasting for distinct purposes. You see, fasting is the choice that we make to deny an ordinary function for the purpose of growing spiritually. We deny it in particular, oftentimes we see in the Bible that it was mostly uh, the, the, the denying the idea of eating and diet. We see this all throughout Scripture. Abraham's servant when he was seeking a bride for Isaac. Moses on Mount Sinai. Hannah when she prayed for a child. David on several occasions. Elijah after his victory over Jezebel. Ezra and Esther and Daniel and Paul. And so on and on it goes. This was and still is and needs to be a common practice in the life of the church. Fasting is this choice that we deny an ordinary function in particular food but friends I would say to you to this today that we can fast in other ways as well. I think more so if Jesus would have been writing during this time and we would have had social media and smartphones and cell phones I I believe wholeheartedly that the call would have been to abstain and to fast from our devices and from our television sets which control so much of our time. Jesus would have said we ought to be intentional about putting those things away. We can fast from media and noise and hurry and hurrying crowds. We can fast from technology and computers and cell phones. Whatever it is in our lives that is producing an addiction in us is a prime area for us to fast from. And so we set aside those things. But fasting gives us this chance and this moment to purify our hearts. From idols. The older I get, the more I realize how much my heart is very efficient at being an idol-making factory. And how I can turn a, a, a good thing and I can make it into a God-like thing very quickly. When left unchecked, walking apart from the Spirit of God, it can be happiness or the pursuit of money or health or even the approval of other people those good things at times can turn into god things and so fasting it allows us the opportunity for god to purify our hearts from the idolatry that exists there the intentional time alone with god walking with god seeking god and so we pursue it to that end the pharisees used fasting to appear religious They wanted people to think more highly of them than they actually were. They were using something good that God had made to make them look like they were something they were not. They wanted the prestige of appearance and not the lowly humility that comes with following Jesus. And so Jesus says, when you fast, don't let other people know. Don't wear it on your face. Don't take upon this persona of being ultra-religious or super-spiritual. Wash your face. Anoint your head. Look like a normal person who is just walking and going about their duties, but they are intentionally setting aside time with the Lord to deprive their bodies of things at times, to nourish their souls and their spirit. And so Jesus says, when you... Do these things, your reward will be seen by your Father who is in heaven, and He will reward you of those things. The people in this day, much like the people in our own time, I myself being even guilty of this, that we begin when we begin to do things for the wrong motive. We we take good things that God has given us and then we elevate them to a status of of being God-like. What we are doing in those moments is we are loving the blessing that we receive more so than the one who actually gives the blessing and who blesses. And these religious people of the day, these followers of Judaism during the day were, were taking the good things that God had making them and elevating them above God himself. It's why they needed Reformation. It's why Luther did what he did because the church needed reformation. It needed to treasure the gospel above all other things and value it above everything else. That we have been reconciled to God through Jesus. And that we pursue that reconciliation with others and we let those that are far from him know him. We fast because it reveals the things that ultimately control us. The purpose of fasting is not to diet or to lose weight, but the purpose of fasting is to reveal what's in the deeper, innermost parts of our hearts. To see what it is that, that we are, could be addicted to or that we are, the things that we're running to as opposed to running to God. It reveals the things that control us. But fasting, more often than not, expresses our inner longing to see the power of Jesus right now. To intentionally... Put ourselves in a position where we are dependent upon him. In the midst of our hunger or in the midst of our time or or in the midst of whatever it is that we would withhold from ourselves. Deprive of our bodies, our attention, our time. It means that we want to see Jesus now in this moment. And we want to see if he's still working in the midst. And we want God to speak to us as we pray and as we fast. And what Jesus was attacking in this moment was the very motivation of these individuals. And spoken out in a more broader terms when sinful motivations dominate our hearts, God's power in and through us is quenched. And so fasting helps us break the power of our ill-gotten motivations. It helps change us. It helps bring us to an awareness of, of where we are and how desperately we need our. God. Now, Jesus goes on after addressing the issue in the discipline of fasting, and he connects the idea of fasting and motivation that he attacks, and, and he goes on to, to speak more about motivation, beginning in verse 19. And he says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust can destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but rather lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, Where neither moss nor nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For so many of us, we get that backwards. We think that if our heart would lead us in a direction, then our treasure will, will follow. But Jesus speaks about it in different terms. He speaks about it in the context that your heart is going to follow whatever it is that your attention has been given to. Your heart is going to follow whatever it is that you give your your time to. And you're going to grow to, to love those things and to be infatuated with those things. And Jesus in this moment is saying, listen, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Because these things will will go away. These things and these actions and these thoughts and these deeds when not done for Christ at the end of the day there will be no eternal reward for them where the moth and the rust destroy. That word destroy there, it's this idea of, of eating away of something like a pest or a vermin like rust. Around my house I have this metal piping that goes around and and on some places of that piping where the paint has, has gotten off that piping, rust has started to, to make its way across that fence. And in certain places on my fence, that pipe is separated completely from the post. And it's not because anybody hit it or did anything, but gradually over time, that rust eats away at that metal. And that metal goes away. And so you have to maintain the fence and you have to make sure that it's painted and protected and to make sure that your fence is still standing up so that the rust does not destroy. What Jesus is doing in this moment is he's not condemning in any way the accumulation of of goods, if you will. He's not condemning the the accumulation of possession. He's not saying that you even as a person can't prepare for the future and, and to have a retirement or, or to be able to save. Nothing's wrong with that. On the contrary, we see in the book of Proverbs, chapter 6, verse 8, where Solomon talks about the little ants. You remember this one? The ant prepares her bread in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. Jesus is not condemning preparation. He's not condemning having things, but rather what he is doing in this moment is he is speaking and forbidding the selfish accumulation of those things. To do those for for ill-gotten gain, the extravagance, the, the excess, he is speaking again to the motivation of the heart. As to why I feel like I need these things in this moment. And someone who would view their life's purpose as just consuming and receiving and getting. Rather than a life of humble service for someone else. A life of humility spent serving the Father on behalf of Him. Being agents of reconciliation. But notice he says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Verse 20, what are these treasures that he's talking about? We know we can't take anything with us when we go back in the box. But what Jesus is talking about, I think Paul helps us understand this in 1 Corinthians 13. A famous passage often read at weddings. But Paul, in this moment, he says to increase in Christ-like character, to grow in faith and hope and love. And then Paul makes this statement, for these things are the things that will remain. Growing in my faith, learning to trust God deeply with the little things in my life, but also with the large things in my life. Being a hopeful person, knowing our Heavenly Father, He is good and kind and He is rich in love and extravagant in mercy. Growing in my love for Him and growing in love for my neighbor. To get the gospel to them in places like Thailand and and Fort Worth and the uttermost parts of the world. Being a, a person that lives on mission with God. Seeking to accomplish the mission that God has given me. These are the things that remain. Jesus goes on in verse 22 and he says the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in you, darkness, how great is the darkness? For no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. For you cannot serve God and money. The eye is the lamp of the body. Oftentimes within biblical language, we see the word eye and heart often used interchangeably. Now, scholars would contend if this is exactly what Jesus is referring to, I believe that what he's doing in this moment is he is speaking to the the value systems that, that many of us would have. And what it is that we are allowing, our eyes being healthy, our whole body will be full of light, that the, that the heart and, and dealing with the matters of the heart, the motivations behind why we do certain things the way we do, making sure that we are motivated properly, properly by the gospel and from God's word, this eye, if it is healthy, our whole body will be healthy and full of light. But if we can't see and we let the wrong things in, This morning as I got dressed and took off my glasses, I had major significant problems getting my contacts in and struggled for like 20 minutes. And turns out I had them both flipped around backwards. My right eye was in my left eye. My left eye was in my right eye. And before I knew it, my eyes became just red as, as this carpet, as those pews and I sat there trying to blink and, and to open and I, and I couldn't see for, for a few moments until they began to clear out and I took the contacts out for just a moment and washed them off and made sure that I got them back in the right place. Because I wanted to be able to see Making sure that that I can see, that my eyes are healthy, so that my body is full of light, so that I can be here amongst you. This is what Jesus is referring to, is not so much being generous with money and addressing those things, but rather our values. And what it is that we are contending for as a people. What matters to us the most. For you cannot serve two masters. And this is one of the big lies that churches and, and believers believe, we think in our worst moments that we can serve two masters. That if I just have a, a little bit of this in pursuit of this, that, and I'll have a, a touch of, of Jesus on the side, that I'll be able to go forth. But Jesus says in this moment, you cannot serve both things. Either you will hate one and, and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. He's not condemning money, but rather greed and the love of money over the things of the kingdom of this world and the one to come. And it's a question of not so much how and what we receive and give, but rather how we view it and whose it is and what we use it for for eternal purposes friend can i say this to you this morning if we say we believe in jesus but it doesn't affect the way we live then the answer is that not we don't need to try harder but to ask ourselves if we have truly believed in jesus at all if it hasn't changed us if we're not moved by it and persuaded by it and seen renewal and transformation in our lives then the only appropriate question to ask is have i really been changed by the gospel have you this morning being really and truly captivated belief in him and, and following him is not just the, the truth because he is the truth but he is also the way I mean, it's a a relationship and it's a lifestyle. We we are yoking ourselves with him as our apprentice and we follow him as teacher and and rabbi and and he's worthy of those things. It's not just that I understand the truth of the gospel, but understanding that Jesus is not just truth, he is the way. He wants his people to live accordingly and in that way, to live on mission with him and alongside him, doing what he would have us do, saying what he would have us do, Say, speaking what he would have us speak, going where he would have us go, and we say, yes, Lord, we will go. Yes, Lord, we will say. This past week, many of you noticed when you came in that we uh, have begun uh, the tearing away, the separation of some buildings and cranes, and there's a lot of things going to happen starting on Monday. They, they started on Saturday, it got real windy, and they had to stop uh, because it was so windy. But one of the things that we did last week to make sure before the buildings came down is we uh, did everything we could and got some folks to come up here to take down the cornerstones on buildings A and B. And they're in our archives room at the moment. We're going to display them at a a later date and and put those out for, for those magnificent buildings that served an incredible purpose. And we've been aware over the past few years that I've been here that there are what we would call time capsules here on this campus. We, we are familiar with at least one that we know of that was put down a decade or two ago. But we just so happened this past week, as they were removing one of the cornerstones in building B, they took that cornerstone off and behind that cornerstone was this galvanized looking box. And so they picked it up and opened it up and it had a lid on it. And and inside this little box are thousands of prayer requests written by Travis members back in 1934. Now, I say that to say this, we found a couple of them that I think were absolutely noteworthy. Every prayer in there obviously is noteworthy. One of the first ones we discovered was Mr. R.H. York, the father of Ed York, our very own, who wrote a prayer request for his wife to recover in health and happiness. We found one from our, one of our former pastors, Dr. Matthews, praying that God would fill his children with, with his will and that God would use the church of Travis Avenue to, to see people saved the great hymn writer, former staff member B.B. McKinney, praying that the name of Jesus shall be exalted in all the teaching here at Travis. That God would use, Miss B.B. McKinney, that God would use each one present in this church to present his glory to everyone that would see and hear. Can I tell you this morning, that those prayers, all the way back in 1934, are the prayers that this church has been built upon. God answering and fulfilling those requests. That God's glory would be at 800 West Berry Street, Fort Worth, Texas, Travis Avenue. All, every one of these prayer requests has been answered and delivered. That, that they asked that God would be honored and glorified, that his word would go forth. That's the legacy. That's the faith and, and the hope and the love. These are the things that remain, our prayers. As we pray to God and he answers those prayers for his glory to be seen here at this campus. Friend, and I ask you this morning, God is not indifferent to your needs and we should pray for our needs and the big needs in our life and the small needs that we have in our life. But how about something alongside that, that we would pray as a church together for the glory of the Lord to be here, for awakening, for revival to start right here at at this campus, in this room, with those that are present, that God would do something marvelous and magnificent, and he would build it upon the prayers of his people. Not for the name of Travis, not for the name of an elder, not for your name or my name, but for and in the name of Jesus. And so here's what I want to begin to do in the month of November. Every Thursday, whether it's morning, noon, or night, or you choose to participate all day, we, I want to call us to a time of prayer and fasting as a church. I want us to fast and I want us to seek the Lord. I want him to expose the the idols that exist within our hearts and and let us see those and pray to him. But then I want to pray that as God reveals that truth to us and and we see who we are in light of who he is and his holiness becomes the thing that we contend for, his, his glory, we begin to ask God as a people, Father, would you let your glory fall on this place in this church that we would see you and know you and that the multitudes would come to know you. That you'd send us out of here to go to the nations. That you would call some that are here, call them up out of the pews, away from Fort Worth, Texas, to go to the uttermost parts of the world because his name is worthy of that attention. His name is worthy of that calling. So each Tuesday in our newsletter that we send, we'll give you a couple of prompts for that Thursday. Thursday. And that whenever you get apart with the Lord, we'll have some other things on fasting that we'll give to you. And I will just say this uh, to you. And it's why I mentioned it can be things other than food, because I know every time I've spoken about fasting, I know some of you have to eat three meals a day. I understand that for health reasons. And I'm not asking you to do something that would put yourself in danger, but but we need to withdraw at times and to seek the Lord and the presence of the Lord with this discipline. It needs to be something that we contend for. So every Thursday in the month of November, and beginning this Thursday, we're just going to ask that God would help us walk in the mission and the vision that he has given us to see people far from him be reconciled to Christ. And I want to invite you to do that. If you are here today, though, and maybe perhaps you have not been reconciled to Christ, that the Bible says today could be your day of salvation. That through repentance and faith in Christ, believing that he died for your sins, he is worthy of your attention, and that you believe in your heart that God raised him up, the Bible says you, too, can be saved. We sing a hymn about God being a fortress, And he is a fortress. The psalmist would say he is a a refuge to the wounded and the brokenhearted. He is near to those who are low in spirit. This morning I plead with you, friend, brother, sister in Christ, if you know him, to lean and press into him in this moment. If you don't know him, then I would love to talk with you. Johnny, one of our staff, would be delighted to talk with you about what it means to place your faith in the only person who is worthy of where our faith should go so, at this time, would you join me as we pray and as we seek the Lord and ask for his glory, his perfection to be on display here in this room. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have redeemed us in Christ. You tell us elsewhere to walk in a manner that is worthy of your gospel. And so, Father, I pray that your church those united with with this faith family, that we would walk in ways that are worthy of of you this week. That we live on mission, that we would live as if our treasure is not here on this earth, but it is in the one to come. And Father, I pray that if anyone here is, is yoked down in sin, burdened by sin, that they feel entrapped in chains by sin, Father, I pray that you would set them free through your spirit. So Father, would you reveal to us in these moments where it is that we are misplacing and and investing in the wrong treasure. Would you help us build a reward, not for this life, but for the one to come? Knowing you see all of our actions and all of our deeds, you know our thoughts, you know our motivations, Father, would you purify them? Would you help us walk faithfully with you? We pray these things, in the name of Christ and God's people. Said. Amen.